mejor destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 15 for Sunday, August 11th, 2013. I'm Nelson DeWitt. John Younger is still out, but we are the, the team behind the documentary film Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. If you guys are wondering where John has been, he's actually getting married next weekend and he is up to his eyeballs in wedding stuff. Hopefully he will be back with us once all of that settles down and he has returned from the honeymoon. Today we're going to be doing something a little different and I'm going to be bringing you an interview that was recorded over three years ago. This interview was part of a live web series that I did as a way to try and tell my family story online. The show really didn't work out or do anything, but the byproduct of it was this amazing interview and the documentary film. You see, John had been helping me at the time, or he was just starting to get involved, and he actually lent me the uh, recording equipment so that I could do the whole show. And it was after seeing my parents talk that he came up to me and he said, we have to do a film about this because it is so powerful. And uh, that's when this whole journey really started. This interview has a lot of historical significance and a lot of personal meaning for me. In it, you will hear my parents talk about how they uh, came to adopt me and the mysterious circumstances that surrounded it and what it was like for them to get a phone call at, at 9.30 at night and then to have, uh, make a decision about a child the next morning, which I still cannot believe that they, uh, that they actually did. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a truly amazing interview, and uh, I, I won't want to get right into it, but I'm going to say one other thing, and that is uh, the other day I ran into a friend of mine, Danielle, who said she'd been listening to the podcast And, um, and it just reminded me of how far we've come when, when I recorded this the first time, I think there were only four or five people listening. John was one of them and it's such a powerful interview, but no one saw it. So I'm super excited that I get a second chance to kind of share it with everyone. So without a further ado, here is the interview with my parents about my adoption. Hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm Margaret Ward. I'm Nelson's mom and Derek's mom. And um, I met my husband, Tom, uh, in the 1970s when we were both teaching at Wellesley College. And we got married in 1975, so we just had our 35th wedding anniversary this week. Mm -hmm. In fact, May is, I always say, too many, too, too many celebrations. We have birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, and Nelson's Adoption Day because in May 30th, on May 30th, 27 years ago, he was released to our custody when we went down to Honduras to adopt him. So why don't you okay. introduce yourself? Yeah. Well, I'm, my name is Tom DeWitt. We have different last names because Margaret was already active as an academic. Uh, I was at Wellesley for a year. That's how we met. We subsequently fell in love and married. But then because even though we were both 30, Neither one of our careers were established. I was getting ready to leave teaching, and Margaret had not yet received tenure, which she ultimately did at Wellesley. And so we decided we didn't want children until we were both established. I went back to get an MBA, 
and in 1979, uh, when I had a good job and Margaret got tenure, we thought, well, maybe it's time to start thinking about a family, and then nothing happened. Not an unusual story. And after all the tests, the doctors suggested that if we were interested in adopting, we should. Naive as we were, we found a uh, small adoption agency called, I think, World Adoptions. I don't yes. know if it exists anymore. In Auburndale, Massachusetts, a, a community within Newton, a suburb of Boston. And we met these wonderful people. It was a very small organization. And we thought we would go in, and they would just hand us a baby, and we were naive <laughs> yeah, I, in those yeah, well, days. And Margaret, well, we both thought, Margaret thought she was, we might get a child. We started in January of 1983, and thought maybe by the time your sabbatical came in, uh, in, the, in the summer, it would be ideal to have a child so that you could bond more. We were, of course, disabused of our... Uh, ideas and told it would take 18 months. Yeah, I think, I mean, Nelson mentioned that maybe later on we'll talk about some of the things that are going on now, yeah. but I was reminded there was an article in the New Yorker just May 10th, just yeah. May 10th, uh, about um, a family that was adopting a little girl from Haiti and then the earthquake happened in January. And in their story, they're talking about possibly three years mm -hmm. of waiting and all of the, the bureaucracy and the paperwork and everything that has to be done both in the United States and in the country of origin whenever you're doing an international adoption. Um, and so we really had to learn, even back then in, mm -hmm. in, the 19, in 1983, that this was, could be a very long process. We had decided we wanted to adopt abroad partly because of our social liberalism, I guess. We're both academics, and we had friends who had adopted a lovely young boy from El Salvador, and we thought, well, Mexico or El Salvador or Central America would be wonderful. Uh, we realized that after we, it was explained to us that it would be a long process, a long home study with documentation, psychological evaluations, references, financial analysis, and then we would get to choose a country, and the material would be translated and sent to that country, and then we would wait probably another 9 to 12 months. Yeah, for a placement. For a placement. And, and yeah. these are all pretty much standard procedures. Well, they've, they've modified, but yes, yeah. the, they're Still. even more restrictive than they were then. They have mm -hmm. to depend how old they are. A mother, in some cases, can't be over 30 Depends or over 25, country. so some countries we weren't eligible mm -hmm. for. We were already uh, in our late 30s. And so, but anyway, we thought that El Salvador would be an idea. We started the process. The process took longer because I was professionally busy, so was Margaret. We couldn't get the meetings. The social worker was upset. But we, we stuck to it. And then one day, uh, we thought we were another year and a half off. And then one day, was it late? It was May 10th. Okay. That's why I'm, I'm oh, thinking wow. this article was written May 10th. May 10th, we got a call. Yeah. We were already, I think, in bed, 10 o'clock at night. It was around 9 We lived 10. in Wellesley, yeah. the town next to Newton. And they called to tell us that there was a boy about two years old who was available. And we had until the next morning at about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning to make a decision. The things that were dramatic is, one, 
This boy was in Honduras, where our adoption agency did not work, so I had no contacts. Secondly, uh, that it, instead of getting a picture and a birth certificate and two weeks to make a decision... And a photograph. We, and a photograph. We got an overnight uh, opportunity to chat. Needless to say, we didn't sleep much that night. And we were given a name of a social worker in Iowa, whom we called the next morning. And while we have a difference of what the recollections are, I remember talking to this man who said this was the most unusual experience he had had in his many years of going to Central America to facilitate adoptions. As you know, you must have a home study in order to bring a child back into the country. And if you're living abroad, which is the way many adoptions occurred through Americans living abroad, working abroad, that uh, a social worker could be licensed to go down there and do that for them. And this social worker was doing the adoption of the first child, what turned out to be many, for Mr. and Mrs. Negroponte. Mr. Negroponte was the ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Honduras. Mm-hmm. And in, in the process of doing that adoption, he's, he was asked to go to a private orphanage in Tegucigalpa to take a look at a child and to get him placed immediately out of the country. So he went, saw the child, pulled out his camera, and the nuns, I think they were... This was a, a social worker who went down to... Yes, the American, the Iowa American social, social worker. From, yeah. from the state of Iowa. Yeah, someone who would do the required home study for that the has to be done by a licensed social worker yeah. for Americans who are living abroad. They could adopt in the courts of a country like Honduras. But they or couldn't any bring country, them back into the They our wouldn't country. be allowed to bring a child back legally the into the United States okay. without a licensed social works home okay. study. So anyway, he so went, he was he the, did that sort of thing. Could he not, would go down there and do the home studies. Yeah was not allowed to take a picture, which was very strange. He went back to Iowa, but this was planting season, and could not find anyone who could commit to three to four weeks at a minimum. Today it's often much, much longer, several years, to go down and adopt. He had heard of our agency because he also worked in El Salvador where our agency worked. So he called our agency in Auburndale, told them the story that I've just said and said... Do you have any likely... Candidates, and if you can't find someone by tomorrow noon, I'm moving on to another agency. So I made this call. He explained what he had done. He said, to me, he said, it's the most unusual experience he'd had in his professional career, and he wouldn't be surprised if it was the illegitimate son of the president. I know he said that I wouldn't make it up. Be that as it may, I know he said it. It doesn't mean that it was true. Well, no, no, and he didn't say that. He just said it was really strange. This was a really This was not a normal placement. He had no birth certificate. Yeah, well, as you said, you didn't have any of the normal information. No, but he said he he had seen you. He'd seen you. You were healthy, probably around two, cute, cute, and and that that all the powers would be mustered to help us make this yeah, happen. Yeah, that he the American Embassy would be supporting us, that we would... And he gave us the address, I'm sorry, the phone number of Mrs. Negroponte, mm-hmm. and we could call her later, and she would be helpful. At the Embassy residence, yes. Uh, and so we called our social worker and said, we wanted to go ahead. 
We had said when we had first come that we were willing to take a slightly older child, didn't have to be an infant, and we weren't wedded to either male or female, boy or girl, which was helpful, which may have been the reason we still to this day do not know why we were picked out of uh, by this agency when there were many people already waiting for a child. Well, I, I've always sort of thought about that as being once you had your home study just about done, within an agency, you would choose mm, which of country. the countries which of the countries of origin with, with whom they were then currently working, and that's changes over has changed yeah. over time. Um, this agency worked in Brazil. They also placed uh, children from the United States, mm -hmm. but uh, some of the countries they were working in with Brazil, Colombia, El Salvador. El Salvador. Salvador now we, because of my age, were ineligible. Was in I, we were ineligible for some of the countries that had restrictions about the age of the parents or the difference, mm -hmm. age differential between parents and, mm -hmm. a, and a child. But in any case. She, um, I think, probably but mentioned she, us as possibilities because we were not quite finished with the home study, and so we and therefore had not committed to one of their specific yeah, yeah. programs. So we were not on a waiting list. We hadn't put our materials together for Colombia or for Brazil or, or else or we else. were thinking of El so Salvador. We were, we were so almost were, done yeah. but we weren't tied down to waiting yet no. in a and specific we're very line. Early in the process. Well we weren't early, we were yeah. we, we were in the process and we had wanted El Salvador. We wanted Mexico possibly and our agency said too cumbersome, too much mm -hmm. bureaucracy yeah. can't be done. Yeah. Uh, you'll be disappointed. And they so had we decided stopped. and no we cited on El Salvador initially and then they notified us that they were stopping the El Salvadorian adoption process because of a baby selling scandal, which of course later on proved to be correct as we later learned much later uh, in discovering Nelson's whole story. So we had thought about going to the Natal in Brazil. In Brazil. That's yeah. northern yeah. Brazil, northwestern Brazil, uh, mostly um, black. But they had a relationship with an adoption agency there, with, mm -hmm. a, with an orphanage. Mm -hmm. So when this came, this was, of course, out of uh, blue. We thought we had another year and a half to wait. But it, for us, it was perfect. They I'm, also knew that, that you I had mean, a sabbatical and I had a I vacation. was just beginning a year's sabbatical. It was May. The semester was almost over. Our social worker knew that Tom was taking his four weeks of vacation to go to Winnipeg. No, we were going to drive to see his parents in Winnipeg. So they knew we sort we had Bad this time. we had yeah. this four week window yeah. that we might have okay. available. So, so I think they had sort of a sense. Well, then, these people might just jump at the chance. Yeah. Yeah. So we then accelerated the process. Yeah. We I called we Mrs. Yes. Negroponte, and we did get through to her by using um, the adoption uh, the uh, social worker's name. We got through the three or four mm -hmm. more five layers of telephone to actually get to the wife of the ambassador. She had heard of us through through her social worker, was excited, said she would take care of everything, not to worry, just get here. Yeah, get your papers so together. We accelerated everything, and of course the irony is we didn't really do the home study. They they finessed part of it because it would have taken well, too long. We couldn't get the group meetings together. That's it. That was the only thing. But we the did rest they, they rushed through. And we got uh, we quickly got um, 
in my case, and you had to get uh, police records from any place you'd ever been for six months, and you needed certificates, and a you needed affidavits. Some of it we had, some of it we didn't. I got my, my fingerprints. I was a CFO at Regis College in Weston. I went to the Weston Police, and they immediately took my fingerprints, so we had all of those things cleared, and we got ready. One of the remarkable things was we asked ourselves why. Not so much just us, but what was this? I believe I had three, we had three conversations with Mrs. Negroponte. In each case, he got a little older, but she kept saying he was healthy and she'd take care of everything. Yeah, she told me bring uh, clothes for, for other the 18 kids. month 18 old months, child. Yeah. And we brought toys and things perfect, for the orphanage. Even though you were two, mm -hmm. um, you were small. So well, nobody knew your age. Was, there were no. Know. There were no papers. Yeah. So we completed this and we were ready to go until we realized we needed a security clearance. And it's one of the things that's always stuck in my mind. And for the longest, longest time after we adopted Nelson, we, in the back of our minds we said, this is a very strange story. There's nothing typical. There's so much mystery surrounding this. We were ready to go. We got our tickets. We didn't have a security clearance. We let Mrs. Negroponte know. That's the way I remember it. And Not in that order, but that's but, okay. But she accelerated by saying that it, when she say it, she would, uh, she would accelerate it through Kennedy's staff or, or something no, like that. You, we realized that, that it was going to take mu much longer yeah, to get the to FBI get clearance. Yeah. And so you called her back. Yeah. And she said, well, call... Senator Kennedy's office, okay. and they yes. all expedited, and, and they, they did. did. Two days later, we had Two our clearance. We got later. our, yeah. we got our. But then we got on the plane. We knew where we were flying to. We did not know where we were staying or how long we would stay. We got. Uh, interestingly, obviously, it was a nervous flight. Needless to say, we didn't know what our child looked like or what we were going to be confronting. And that's our show for today. I know uh, you probably hate me because I left you with a cliffhanger, but that is the way we are going to end it today. I'm trying to keep these episodes on the shorter side, so we decided to bring this to break this up into two parts. Anyway, you can tune in next week and hear the second half of the interview with my parents. We get into um, when they actually visit me for the first time and what their experience at the orphanage was, which is truly, uh, I think, the most powerful part of this this interview. Uh, as always, please leave us some feedback on Facebook slash Identifying Nelson, or you can email us at podcast at Identifying Nelson. If you enjoy the show, pass it on to anyone that you think you would, uh, anyone you think would enjoy it. And as always, tune in next week. We will be bringing you part two of this remarkable interview. Have a great week, everyone.